Support for this podcast comes from Outdoor Supply Hardware, inviting listeners to OSHA's big anniversary sale celebration, May 20th through the 26th, featuring daily deals, $15,000 in giveaways, 20% off store-wide on Saturday and Sunday, and a lot more. Learn more at OSH.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment, and if you love what you're hearing... And I know you love what you're hearing. Please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. I'm Sasha Koka, and you're listening to the California Report magazine. Today on our show, we've got another conversation in our series, Mixed Stories of Mixed Race Californians. The most common question that I got growing up was, what are you? I just never understood why can't you include all of me? You know, where do I fit in? Who do I identify with? I'm mixed, and I'm proud of it. I have always been a mixed person. I wouldn't know how to think of myself otherwise, and I'm not planning on changing. (laughs) KQED's Marisa Lagos and I have been talking to people from all around the state about their experiences growing up mixed. But today, we wanted to get into another side of the conversation— what it's like to raise mixed-race kids. Yeah, I mean, Sasha, you and I are both mixed ourselves, and so are our partners. So our kids are, like, super mixed, I guess. Yeah, (laughs) super mixed. It's a superpower. And, you know, Marisa, raising kids is hard enough, but I think it can be even more complicated when you're raising kids who have different racial identities than yours or your partners. Right, and think about it. Even if you're mixed as a parent, like we are, your kids are a different mix because of your partner. So today in our series mix, we have two guests who are going to talk to us about the specifics of raising mixed race kids. Dr. Jen Noble is a clinical psychologist, professor, and teen parent coach from LA who specializes in helping parents and teens navigate the sometimes confusing waters of the mixed experience. Welcome, Dr. Jen. Thanks for having me. And also joining us is Rahul Yates, a high school senior from Los Angeles who started Humsub Global Teen as an organization for multiracial teens. He's the host of the podcast Mixed by Gen Z, which I've been enjoying so much. Welcome, Rahul. Thank you for having me. So we're so happy to have you both here in conversation. And we want to start with a question we're asking everyone for the Mixed series. Dr. Jen, let's start with you. What words do you use to identify yourself and your background? Oh, man, it depends on the situation and where I am. But um, I mean, I definitely tend to use the term mixed race. If I'm writing or if I'm talking to someone, I'll say I'm African-American and Tamil Sri Lankan. So that's that's usually what I go for. Rahul, how about you? What do you what words do you use? Yeah, so that answer has changed over time. But right now, as I felt more confident in my mixed identity, um, I say white and Indian, but I usually specify Indian as in South Asia, just because of how that term has been used to describe other um, groups of people. I try to stay away from saying like I'm 50% Indian, 50% white. I can be 100% of both. Mm. I love it. Just how long that took explains why we're doing this. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, I want to get into this aversion to fractions thing um, Mm because I think it's, it's really interesting. And, you know, as a person who grew up 
a lot of my life falling into that pitfall. Rahul, I share an identity with you and also with you, Dr. Jen, and that I have one South Asian parent. Mm-hmm. Also oh, okay. totally get the Indian thing because, you know, as my dad would always say, it's just because Columbus got it wrong. You know, he just like landed in the wrong place. He was like, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I would fall into this thing of like, oh, I'm half Indian and half American, which is also mm-hmm. really problematic, mm-hmm. a.k.a. white, yeah. um, Irish American. Well, and my parents, I've talked about this before. My mom drew me a pie chart on a like a, yeah. a, a paper plate. Because it's pretty complicated. Both my parents are mixed as well. So it's like, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Do you think that's problematic? Yeah, I I do think it's problematic to try to pie chart it out because that's just not how it works. Like, it's really more about experience and like who your family is and you're connected to all the ancestors on both of those sides. So how could you cut that off by percentages? You know, it's it's. I know I think our society loves to break things down by math and somehow that helps our brain, but I just think it comes from historical stuff in our country around race and and um, trying to quantify people and Native Americans and blood quantum and the one drop rule and all that stuff. And so it's like we're still stuck in this, oh, but how much are you? Um, and and are you full? And if so, I need to quantify how much you're not. That's really what people are saying. How do we explain who we are, particularly when we're misread? Like in both of your cases, what do you say when somebody misreads who you are? I'm a fairly racially ambiguous person. Um, and having my my name Rahul, which is very much a common name in India, South Asia, and being in Southern California with a um, large Hispanic population, it's often confused for Raul. And so I've gotten um, Hispanic a lot because they see my name and don't really realize that the H actually means it's from an entirely different culture. I don't ever really think I've been perceived as my correct mix unless it's also from somebody with like a mixed background or who can like look at my name and see, okay, Indian name, white last name, et cetera. And I can be an advocate for um, the South Asian community in a predominantly white space, especially like my school, for example. So mixed people, I think, oftentimes can help take those misconceptions away Mm -hmm. because we're like, well, I also belong to that group that you have those ideas about, but I don't don't reflect that. Um, Or let me help you understand what you don't understand. I mean, it's it's a little bit of a burden, but, Mm -hmm. and I think maybe some mixed race people can resent that, but at the same time, it, it is... In a way, it's it's a power that you have. And so especially if you already have the comfort of the lighter skin, people may be willing to listen um, and they won't be so quick to be like, oh, you're just saying that because you're part of that group. They're sort of like, whoa, wait, you know, I've been disarmed by your lighter skin. Uh, I think that to me, that's where that role comes in as far as privilege goes. It's a privilege and a responsibility. Uh, Dr. Jen, I know you get misread as well. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, do you explain to people? Do you feel like you need to? Um, it depends. Sometimes I will let people know. Um, I think a lot of times I just know that when I walk out into the world, I'm I'm read as a black woman, black monoracial woman. And, and that's definitely something I'm proud of. So I don't think I need to explain it in a way as if 
it's wrong or something bad. So I'm not going to stop people and be like, oh, my God, no, wait, hold on. You know, I'm, I'm just like, yeah, you're right. And if we're going to talk long enough, I'll probably tell you more. But I would say in South Asian spaces, it's different because if I mm-hmm. go into a South Asian space, then there is a there's a lot of eyes that are like, oh, what is this black woman doing here? You know, that kind of thing. And so, I mean, that's actually how Rahul and I know each other is through classical Indian dance. So I will answer and I can say, oh, you know, it's shared cultural experience for me too. My mother is from Sri Lanka. And they go, oh, and then everything's fine after that because they were just like, I just needed to know that piece. It's a boldness that maybe mixed race people have to develop of when your phenotype really doesn't match one of the groups, you got to, you develop that skill of being like, well, I'm going to enter this space anyway, and mm-hmm. y'all are going to be all right, and we'll figure it out together. Dr. Jen, I actually took your quiz for parents of mixed race kids. Um, (laughs) Okay. Love that. And I'd love it if you could just share with us some of the most common blind spots you see. And most of the time, those are monoracial parents who don't share the experience, right? Yeah, most of the time they are, yeah. Believe it or not, just not knowing how to explain their own child's racial racial background to them. Mm. Um, Just feeling stuck on like, oh, how do I tell you? what you are. Do I tell you what you are? Should I just tell you you're one thing? How do we all decide this? It's really a lot about just being tongue-tied around somehow I'm going to hurt your feelings if I talk about race. And I'm saying the exact opposite. You know, if you if you just say, oh, honey, we're all human. There's only the human race. You're mm-hmm. fine. <laughs> that is going to be more harmful because the kid's like, no, I know something is different here. I see you and I see my dad and I see the mirror <laughs> and my friends are saying, why do I look like this? And you're going to tell me it's the human race. This is not helpful. You know, um, I think it's different. It's different for each group. For example, like African-American parents, if they're monoracial African-American, I think they walk into parenting a mixed race child, like, don't worry, I got this because I have examined my my blackness and I know how to give that to my kid and that's it. They'll be black and I've, I've got this. Don't worry. But I present to them an extra piece of the puzzle like, OK, but your kid is not just black. Mm-hmm. Now they're black and Mexican or and Korean and Indian and something else. And a lot of times those parents stop and they go, oh, but OK, but oh, wait, you know, yeah. How do you acknowledge the other side? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Rahul, what was your experience with your parents growing up? How did they talk to you about race? When I was younger, I always really just wanted to be just Indian. I just felt much more attached to the culture. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I felt like there was not necessarily something to be proud of with like having my white mm-hmm. side. Whereas with my Indian side, I was like, look at this amazing, vibrant culture, etc. Mm-hmm. I feel like I felt more out of place among my white family, even though they like there was really no difference in treatment. But it was actually around my South Asian family, and especially as um, as I grew up, and like phenotypic differences really started to become obvious between like me and my um, my full Indian cousins, mm-hmm. and and that's when like comments about like oh you look American meaning white ah, and right. like my mom like I mean she loves her Indian culture and so mm-hmm. she exposes me to that um, and she has. An understanding of that where she doesn't necessarily have the same understanding of, you know, my dad's whiteness as he does. Mm-hmm. And so my dad will say things like, oh, you know, you, to me, you just look like a white person. Mm-hmm. Um, to, uh, yeah, I, I, I know. And I'm like, but 
I'm, I, I mean, I have a little bit of a tan. And, As he like, picks you up from classical Indian dance <laughs> class. <Yeah. laughs> and it's like, I, it's just like there's a little bit of a disconnect. I'm doing these very culturally Indian things. And so I think my mom, she did a good job with exposing me to my both, both of my sides. But exposing is different. Just knowing both of them is, is different than putting them together. Yeah. And I think that's what I struggled mm. with was that nobody really showed me how to put it together. And I had to figure it out myself. Honestly, that's that's a main reason why I do the work that I do, because I just know parents have so much power to kind of build that foundation early on so that, you know, the Dr. Jens and the Rahuls of the world don't have to be like, okay, now hold on, let me try to figure out how to piece this all together. Um, I think my mom definitely, you know, when I was growing up, she'd be like, well, you're Sri Lankan or this, blah, blah, blah. And she's running the household that way. And then my dad, when he wants to give me lessons of life, he's like, well, you remember, you're black and this mm. is that. And, you know, and because you're black, this and that. And I'm like, okay, hold on. <laughs> like, yes, but to both of you, but also what no one is talking about being both at the same time. Like, for example, if I were to rock a sari, I would be wearing it with my South Asian side of the family to events or something. But after a while, I realized, you know what? I know how to drape a sari. I want to wear it to an event on my college campus. Mm -hmm. And it's not going to be the South Asian Student Association's special dinner. I'm just going to wear it to whatever event. I can bring both into the space, you know, and you'll adjust. Um, so I think those are ways that I started to put it together. It sounds like it's about self-confidence and accepting our wholeness, not waiting for other people to define us, to okay us, to say you can't wear that, right? It's really just about coming into our own sense of ourselves. And that's really hard to do when you don't have mentors. I do think it's also just a realization of, oh, worlds are not split. I'm, I'm me everywhere I go. So if I'm with one family and they're saying you're this, and I'm with another family and they're saying you're that, I was still the same person in both environments. So the realization is like, oh, they may be acknowledging just one portion, but I'm, I'm always present. So then stepping into that. So Rahul, I mean, you actually have an entire podcast about mm -hmm. your own experience and to help other mixed teens. But can you just tell us a little bit about what's your goal for the podcast? I feel like there's a lot of various um, multiracial, mixed race, et cetera, a lot of um, accounts, pages, websites, et cetera, but that they're often, um, I found, run by adults. And, and I hope that for young people, it can be um, empowering that, you know, okay, somebody else like, oh, I also feel that way. Or I, I also think that, um, and it's not just me because I think a big part of the mixed experience is feeling like you're alone in yeah. it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Dr. Jen, tell us about your project, the Mixed Life Academy. What is that? And why did you decide you wanted to start it? Well, the Mixed Life Academy is um, a community for parents who are trying to raise their mixed-race kids. And, and the goal there is to raise resilient and confident mixed-race kids. Because sometimes parents that worry about their mixed-race kids are kind of like, oh my gosh, I wish I had another set of parents to talk to that are also doing this. Um, and then the last piece is just having a place to come, you know, on a weekly basis to just 
ask your questions and be like, look, someone said this to my kid. What do I do? Or the school gave me this form. How do I fill it out? How do we handle this? My grandma, you know, came and insulted my child. You know, I mean, <laughs> these are all things that actually happen. If you had a set of parents who were struggling and, and wanted to know where to start, what tips would you have? I would start with books. Um, there are a lot of great little books that introduce the idea of the mixed race experience to a child. You can do it as young as three and four years old. And sometimes that allows the parents to find more words because if the parent is just sitting there and reading the book, they're going to be like, oh, is this what my kid is feeling, you know, or, or could be experiencing at some point? Or will their peers say this to them? I think that's a great place to start. You know, I, I worked with a, a parent and her husband, and she has a six-year-old boy, and she was very worried about his phenotype because she just felt, I guess, you know, he was too ambiguous and that maybe he wouldn't be claimed by um, the Jamaican heritage. And so she was just like, I don't know what this is going to mean. So I coached her around opening that conversation and just being real about, this is what you look like. And so what? You know, and... Here, is this your grandparent? Is this your mother? Is this your uncle? Is this whatever? So that's your family, mm -hmm. and that means you're a part of that, and it doesn't matter what you look like. I feel like it was that same week he went to school, and some kid said something to him, and he was so excited to, first of all, use the word phenotype that she— I mean, imagine a six-year-old child like, oh, you are concerned about my phenotype, <laughs> and— um, you're wondering why I look like this. Well, it's because this, this, and this. Isn't that amazing? And she was just moved to tears because she just was like, I didn't realize I could empower him in that way. There's just so much out there now, you know, compared to when I was growing up. I remember the first movie I saw where I saw my family represented, which was East is East. I don't know if you've seen that, Rahul, because you also have one white parent and one Indian parent. It was a Pakistani parent in this case. And I just remember bawling. I saw it in the theater, just bawling, feeling like my family was finally represented on screen. And it just seems like there's so much more out there now. Something that I appreciate is like, yes, when some film or movie is about identity, but also when it's, when the identity is not the main component yeah. of the film and like when there is like an actual story, plot, et cetera, and that like the mixed race family is just like, oh, it's just the family in the film, which happens to be, you know, inter like parents of in an interracial relationship. <laughs> totally. Well, we, I mean, we've had a lot of conversations about representation and it's clearly getting better. Um, and you know, one person we've been talking about and thinking about is probably the most famous mixed person on the planet right now, Meghan Markle. Um, oh. <laughs> so they, you know, Harry and Meghan is a Netflix documentary told from their point of view. Um, and she discusses her experience pretty clearly in that. People don't talk about what it's like to be mixed race. So much of my self-identification was trying to figure out where I fit in. And I think a lot of that is like, you're not white enough or you're not black enough. But I don't see the world that way. So talk to me about that whole question of being enough. Yeah, I I think that's that's what I struggled with. And when I was younger, I thought instead of trying to like balance both, just 
just, you know, ditch one of them and go full force in Indian in my case um, and try to be enough. Subconsciously, I knew I never would be in that no matter what I did, no matter how I may have looked or how I may have acted, et cetera, um, that I would never just be perceived the same way as my family members, my cousins, et cetera. I think that was really hard because it was like a, a truth that I didn't want to recognize for such a long time. But then reframing it is in the sense of like, well, but I can relate to this this group and this group and that that's actually something really special that such like so few people can do. Um, and that I should at least I should feel lucky. I mean, I've I, like honored that you can be a part of many groups. And I think that a lot of uh, mixed people would share the feeling of never being enough and that that feeling is not really shakable. It's just how you think about it, I think, can definitely be yeah. um, shifted. And I think to add to that, it's like, what does enough mean? I think we're all taught yeah. that there is this list of things that you have to be able to do to be enough. It's a standard that's like way too high and until you start to sort of realize, oh, wait, I I am enough in the sense that I'm I'm connected to my people and and maybe it's not to this this list of standards that maybe everybody thinks I should be able to do. Like, I can't speak the language. I can't do this. Maybe do I cook all the foods? Can I do all the whatever <laughs> cultural holidays? It's mm -hmm. like you're going to exhaust yourself if yeah. you try to go through all those Pursue things. Pursue all of it. Yeah. Recently, I, I posed this question uh, to my my grandmother. My So she's, you know, she's an immigrant from India. And so she says things like, oh, you look, you look American um, to me. <laughs> but it, it's funny because... I don't know. I don't think my cousin will listen to this, but I'm, I am the, the, the favorite grandchild. And, and I, but there's reasons why. I, I love classical Bollywood songs. I can right. sing them with her. I know about the region. I talk to her about her own history growing up in 1940s India. Mm -hmm. I know the culture. I say prayers with her. I do classical Indian dance. And that's what our relationship is really based off of, mm. that we can relate and appreciate things that I mean, when she and when she came here and brought her kids, there was a lot of assimilation. And so mm. none of her kids are really so culturally um, South Asian. And so then now their mm. kids, my cousins, are um, are also just like they're Indian and in how they look and, mm -hmm. and their names. But my cousins don't know any of the things that right. I know. But you might have done that work because you felt maybe not enough. Like they may not have questioned their background in the same way. That that's true. But once I asked her, like, look, I, you know, I do all of these things, like we look how much we're relating, and yet I'm never going to be considered Indian, perceived mm -hmm. as such, in the same way that my cousins who know nothing about the culture and really know nothing about like what it would really mean, what you like, what does it mean to be X race, yeah. X mm -hmm. ethnicity, et cetera. And what can one person do that be so engaged and yet this other person can do nothing, you know, right. do nothing and still have that upper edge over you? So it's like, is it just how you look? Is it blood? Like, yeah. what is it? You know, Rahul, your conversation with your grandmother. And I mean, mm -hmm. I just gave me chills because I relate to so much of that, you know, mm -hmm. with my grandparents and. Just that whole, yeah. that whole, that whole yeah. struggle. Well, and I was thinking we could have a whole other conversation about like, yeah, just like generational change. Cause like, yes. I don't think my parents yeah. would identify as mixed race. Yeah. yeah even yeah. though they are, oh, you know, yeah. they talked about it in fractions. Really? Right. Right. But anyway. Well, yeah. yeah. Oh, so they wouldn't. Right. 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 I see. Just they, yeah, they're acknowledging just a term that they used, yes. you know, yeah, I agree. I agree. Right. I you. And also yeah, both yeah. of my grandmothers, I think 
or my grandfather's really tried to assimilate because mm. yeah mm. you know right i think some of it's generational i think there's just so much you know and also just like in my family, I mean, my dad came from India in 64, right? Like, we, he didn't talk yeah, about my race. My family was in 65. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My dad's probably your grandparents' age, right? So when I was mm-hmm. growing up, there was nobody like me and my brother. And, you know, and he never talked right. about race. He talked about it as culture. Mm-hmm. And I remember I went right. to Brotherhood mm-hmm. Sisterhood camp. It's oh. a really amazing camp where you, like, talk about race and sexism and all this stuff. And, and I got there and they put you into groups. And I got thrown into the mixed group and I just cried for three days. And wow. I called my dad and I was like... I'm in this mixed group. How come you guys never really explained that I was mixed? And my dad was like, why are you in that group? Like, it's not racial, it's cultural. (laughs) I was like, okay. So, um, you know, it's a lot of of struggles. Yeah, I think kind of just to the parent thing, it's also influenced by government and politics and all of Mm -hmm. that because there was a time on the census you couldn't check a box. So, I mean, you can check more than one. So then all of those folks or those adults at that time and older would have been like, okay, well, I've come to terms with that. I will choose a box. 2000 census was the first time, but I don't think people knew about it that well. But 2010 was post-Obama. And so once Obama's Mm -hmm. on the screen, like, oh yeah, I have a white mom and a Kenyan dad. People are like, what? Are you allowed to say that like in public? (laughs) Then the next census, the numbers of especially black-white mix went like way up. People are like, oh, we can do that now. Like there's so many ways in which other people are trying to tell us how to identify. Mm-hmm. And so just reclaiming that and being like, well, this is how I'm going to identify. And as, as if you set a firm, you know, firm answer down, then other people will, will, will back off and you can really own that. And the first thing to do is to talk about it, parents, friends who can relate. Um, and from there, just building confidence to the point where it's not a point of hesitancy or a point of contention, but rather a point of pride. You know, we've talked to a lot of people in this series, different generations, different mixes, and people have talked to us about the struggles that they've faced in, in embracing their wholeness and getting rid of the fractions and being who they are. But there's also a lot of celebration um, in mixed identity. And I'd love to hear from both of you what's hopeful and what's celebratory about the work that you're doing. I'm very hopeful because um, just seeing how, I think how much more aware of of race and ethnicity and and society and all of those things put together that we are. And I'm I feel very grateful to have grown up and seen this change like unfold before my eyes. And um, with more interracial relationships, more mixed race people, second generation mixed people, third generation. This is a, a recognized demographic that mm-hmm. is included in conversations that when you're creating a student group at a college or a university or a school that, well, okay, you can have these groups, but also what about the mixed kids? Hearing other people talk about it, that that really makes me feel hopeful that, okay, there are people thinking about this the same way I think about it. It's not something I need to hide. It's something I can be proud of. I think for me, uh, when we think about future, what I find hopeful is like the visibility. An artist like her or Anderson Pack who can just be very open about oh, yeah, here's my Asian heritage or here's my, I'm very proud to, um, you know, represent my Filipino community and not needing to explain, let's say there's Tiger Woods, now there's Naomi Osaka and she's like, please Mm -hmm. tell me I'm not what I am. Like, try. Just, (laughs) Mm, yeah. (laughs) 
Dr. Jen Noble, Rahul Yates, we so appreciate your time today. It was really a fabulous conversation. Yeah, thank you thank so you much. Thank you for having us. This was fun. Yeah, thank you guys. That was fun. That was Dr. Jen Noble, a clinical psychologist and the creator of the Mixed Race Academy, an online community for parents of mixed race kids, and Rahul Yates, the host of the podcast Mixed by Gen Z. Be sure to check out that podcast. Sasha and I are actually guests on it very soon. That's right. We turned the tables and Rahul interviewed us. And coming up next week in the final episode of our Mixed series, we've got a conversation with Kamau and Melissa Hudson-Bell about their new film about mixed race kids. It's called called A Thousand Percent Me, Growing Up Mixed. I would say I'm half Pakistani and I'm half African-American. I would say I'm Asian and American, so I'm mixed race. I'm 100% Filipino, 100% African-American, and a thousand percent a person. And that's it for the California Report magazine for this week. You can check out our whole mixed series on kqed.org slash mixed race. We're a production of KQED in San Francisco. Our interim senior editor is Katrina Schwartz. Susie Racho is our producer-director, and our sound engineer is Brendan Willard. Jessica Carissa helped produce this episode. I'm Marisa Lagos. And I'm Sasha Coca. This is the California Report magazine. Your state, your stories. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? It's history, it's people, it's unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out the Bay Curious book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support.